Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Afternoons on SEM. Oh, look, I'm chuffed to be spending another hour with you, however you're joining us, wherever you're joining us. It's great to be chatting to you. Uh, afternoon, Sam Hargraves filling in for Dwayne. You can call on the Werribee Kia open line, one 736 736 Awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. You can text in at any stage on the 40 Wings Temper text, 0433981116. Consumer choice winner, temper mattresses, pillows, and adjustable bases conforms to the exact shape of your body. In just a moment, Karen Pierce. OAM, Executive Manager of Growth and Inclusion at Football Victoria, is going to have a chat to us um, about how do we capitalise on the success of the Socceroos at this uh, 2022 FIFA World Cup. We've loved bringing it to you on SEN, um, but how do we maximise um, on the attention it's received and the inspiration that it may have been able to create? Um, there's a big job to do, and she's at the forefront of that. 19 million Australian uh, was the reward. Uh, for being able to make it to the round of 16, uh, about 40 to 50% of that goes to the players. So what can you do to help just re- just ease the financial burden that seems to be placed on parents to get their kid to get their kids into the round ball game? There are a ton of texts coming through uh, about the fixture for season 2023, and I'm going to get to those as quickly as I can. But Collingwood have just released a statement for you Pies fans. Pendlebury steps down as Collingwood captain. He's the longest serving captain of the Collingwood footy club. Scott Pendlebury has advised his teammates and the wider club that he'll hand over the reins ahead of the 2023 season. Uh, Pendlebury's career as captain of Collingwood is a legendary one. Goes on to talk about being uh, anointed in 2014 at 25 years of age. He replaced Nick Maxwell. Nine consecutive years uh, he led the Pies four. He was named the AFLPA's best captain 2020 and 2022. He's quoted as saying, to captain an AFL club is one of the greatest honours and that is not something I have ever taken for granted. It has been an absolute privilege to lead this side for as long as I have. At 34 years of age and in the twilight of my career, I felt like this is the optimal time to hand over the, the position and support the next captain of our club. I've experienced all the great football highs and lows throughout my nine-year tenure as captain, and I look forward to seeing the next person take the opportunity and make it their own. This year, I've shared in what feels like a new era of Collingwood with new coaches, staff, and a playing group coach, and a young playing group, sorry, and we have all witnessed what we have been able to create. It seems timely that we welcome a new captain for season 2023. So 358 games for the club, 206 times he was captain of Collingwood, Scott Pendlebury. Both of those are club records. Um, congratulations to one of my favourite players to watch. I've always said that he's like the Hubble telescope, Scott Pendlebury. He sees time and space that no one else can. Um, but he will play on, but just no longer uh, as captain. Uh, he was uh, second in this year's Copeland Trophy. Um, has finished top three in the Copeland count in the last 14 
in the last 14 of his 17 seasons in black and white. So they'll announce a replacement in due course, but that's massive news coming through from a Collingwood perspective today. Um, let's just whip through some of your text before Karen Pierce joins us in regards to the fixture. I'm just going to roll through these quickly again. Chris got reasons that it isn't which clubs you play twice in an AFL fixture. Scott observes that uh, it is where and when you play, given teams as the season unfolds, that is more important. EG playing the Swans at the SCG early uh, with Buddy ready to kick his 1,000th goal was always going to be a very hard task, so it proved to be. That's Glenn in Heighton. Um, uh, hey, Sam, Hawks easily had the hardest draw in 13, 14, and 15 for a three-peat. Who cares about the fixture? 22 v 22. That's from Catter. Hi, Sam. Tigers will take on anywhere, <laughs> anyone, anywhere, except at Marvel. That's James in Morty Alec. Um, fixture means nothing. Most people had Collingwood finishing bottom two this year uh, and being an easy game on the fixture and they ended up finishing top four and shaping the ladder and most people saw Port Adelaide as top four and they lost their first five games of it so uh, those were points that Julian Stoop was making uh, very nicely earlier this morning people need to stop whinging about the fixture if your team's good enough that fixture wouldn't matter um uh Eric uh, has to say Eric sent in a couple here how the hell does Carlton get the draw? They got two years in a row. Absolutely pathetic schedule. And then also how does Melbourne get to play two bottom teams twice and North and Hawks four guaranteed percentage booster games. Um, Carlton had the biggest home crowds in the league last year. Uh, so these are just a sample of what's been coming through. 0433981116. When it comes to Thursday night footy, just because it suits you doesn't mean it suits everyone. Plenty of us can't go on Thursday nights because our kids and work the next day. I absolutely understand that you might not be able to go, but we're getting, every, most times, more often than not, we're getting a million people watching. So that's another major metric that Thursday night footy is a success. Um, 0433981116 on the 40 Winks temper text. Um, it's a pleasure to welcome our next guest, who is the Executive Manager of Growth and Inclusion at Football Victoria. Karen Pierce, OIM, has been good enough to jump on the line um, to try and solve a conundrum that's facing soccer at the moment. And she's at the forefront of trying to solve that uh, in her role. Karen, hello to you. Hello, Sam. How are you? Uh, look, I'm well. Thank you for asking. Um so we're led to believe that about 19 million coming Australia's way after reaching the round of 16, uh, about 40 to 50% from reports I'm reading go to the players. So that leaves a little sum, uh, which, well, little, it's relative, uh, maybe around $10 million that the game has at its disposal. In your role as the manager of growth and inclusion at Football Victoria, what's the best use of that money? Where is it best spent to try and make sure that these massive numbers of participation that soccer has continue on? Well, I won't get the control of that one, unfortunately, no, I... because it will come through from Football Australia. But yep. from, a, from a football perspective, the biggest thing that we can be doing at the moment, and we've done it extremely well this year, is getting into the schools. Um, you know, we have... Uh, We've got 360-odd clubs down here and, you know, a lot of those are hamstrung. We are a seasonal sport. We don't have enough facilities that, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So if we can grow a love of football within the school grounds, uh, I think that's that's where our, our best uh, spent money can head into there and give those kids an opportunity to actually try our sport and hopefully love it for life. That's, that's the thing that we, we are attempting to do at the moment. That's a fantastic point you make because that's where Auskick is each and every week. 
um, in and around, not just Victoria, but in Australia. I have a friend of mine who runs a drama school and she pitches it at schools that, that don't have their own drama classes. And she said, every time I go in and I see someone from the AFL there, I know that this won't get me a whole lot of clients uh, out of this because the AFL come with show bags and gifts and, and all the bells and whistles and you name it, and they put a ton of money uh, into resourcing that. And you've got to be there to try and fight the battle, but you've got to try and fight it on as even a playing field as you can, Karen. Absolutely. Well, we were we were blessed this year. We were successful with Positive Start funding that came through the state government. And we started in term two, as those that were investing in that program did, uh, just with all the mask mandates and all that that were going on in term one. So we kicked off in term two. So up until uh, Wednesday this week, we will have hit nearly 47,000 students and wow. given them a, a football experience. Now, we've, we've shown them outdoor football. Futsal is now under our jurisdiction, has been for a couple of years now, and also a Go Girls program, which has been really well received. So just providing an opportunity for those young girls. And we've done it uh, targeted primary schools and specialist schools, so kids with impairment. And, um, yeah, that's our number so far. So we know, we know the numbers are there. It's how do we actually... Um, move forward from that now. So Karen, when I have a look at numbers that come through and, and seeing that, and it was an article about how much um, political promises were being made in the last election and AFL easily dwarfing every other sport. But the article spoke about the fact that based on figures that soccer has about double the amount of people participating in it as the next best sport and the next closest sport. Um, with around 1.1 million people uh, playing it. Then, though, when it comes to retaining these players and to having them go through the pathways, it seems like it's the biggest obstacle that soccer has. And a lot of the reasons for that coming through from our listeners are the cost. So it's more expensive to play club soccer than it is to play AFL. And then if you get into the NPL, then you're paying about $2,000 a year. And every bit of feedback we get is that junior soccer is funding the game and it's a trickle-up economy, not a trickle-down. So how big a challenge is that for you in terms of trying to make sure that soccer doesn't become a game for the rich? I certainly don't want it to be a game for the yeah. rich. And that's, you know, that's, what we seriously have to look at that we've all, we're also contending with. So, you know, pitch high, as I said before, we're a seasonal sport. So how do we actually start to look at it mm. as a 12 months of the year sport? The fact that we have futsal now gives other alternatives and different modifications of the game to allow and enable anybody to play. And that's, that's been my role in sport for many, many years has been how do we do that? How do we ensure that any child that has a great experience, now whether that's coming through from a from a sport perspective, uh, school's perspective, and having that you know one hit there which they have loved, how do we ensure that they can move forward with that? So if the cost of any sport is is a barrier to kids then um, enabling an, a greater opportunity of access, how do we create moments in time where there's actual you know school school competitions and all of that, which we're starting to look at. So that will make it hopefully more affordable for children, but also, um, you know, <laughs> we've got the same thing as every other sport does. How do we bring more more coaches on board? How do we ensure, you know, since COVID, there's been an absolute um, 
plummet in the number of, of officials and referees in any sport that are out there. Mm. And a lot of that's to do, it's not just our sport, it's a lot of sports, it's a lot about, um, you know, par- parental, um, or not just parents, but other people who are, you know, not, not as well behaved as they should be out there, which is to the detriment of our, of our kids participating in whatever area that they do. So, you know, how, how do we turn all of that on its head and actually make it easier to participate any way that you want to? So a big focus of my area that I'm doing here is on women and girls as well. Mm. And, um, you know, we've got really low rates and that's been a traditional thing in football. You know, there wasn't that long ago, decades, not that long, that uh, women weren't allowed to participate. So when you look at that, how are we creating better opportunities to enable them to get in the game and stay and, and participate? And that's where our, our girls-only programs help. And um, hopefully that, you know, these social modifications of the game are affordable. So if that's how we can get more kids involved, that's that's what we're driving at the moment. We're speaking to Karen Pierce, OIM Executive Manager of Growth and Inclusion at Football Victoria. Um, Karen, in your role, what when you speak to people um, in and around uh, soccer in Victoria, what's the number one most prohibitive thing for them staying in the game um, with their kids? What's the feedback that you get? Uh, I think it's it's the fact that uh, I. From my perspective, I think a lot of it is to do with we choose our teams early and we run a winter season. So getting our clubs to actually think a little bit outside of the the traditional box and think differently beyond that. Our Go Girls program, for example, is pretty much based on come, come along and have fun. You know, there's not, we cut out the competition. It's just learning learning some basic skills of the game and keep involved that way. And we know there's lots of different ways that engage young girls in particular. They like to bring their friends along. So how do we encourage that and keep them there? Um, you know, we run programs like Go Soccer Mum. So for women who may have played when they were younger and left the game to have children, but we're not also focusing just on mums, but... Um, how do we entice and enable them to come back in? We've started to ad- to adapt our game into things like three-on-three competitions, five-a-side, seven-a-side. So not just our traditional um, method of, of playing the game. So when we're speaking to our clubs, is how do we modify what we have to enable more people to come? So how do we you look at that and say, well, we've only got access to two or three pitches in the winter season how do we modify those pitches and cut them down into four, eight pitches and enable more people to get on there and play? So it's just it's just the the uh, the different mindset, I guess. Um, the AFL are able to spend a lot of money uh, regionally and uh, at grassroots level to make sure that the costs don't blow out for for kids to participate. Um, we've spoken about the money uh, a little bit and we, the, the feedback we get from families is just I can't really afford it um, anymore. Um, and they've sent through the numbers in comparison um, between their kids that play Aussie rules and their kids that play soccer. What what can the game do, Karen, to, to try and put a cap on that, that, that costing to try and make sure that it doesn't blow out and become so exorbitant as that people can't follow through the pathway. So if you've got a kid that's talented or just a kid who wants to participate, but we're speaking about it off the back of Australia having a really successful World Cup, one that we weren't expecting to have. So in, in terms of how to continue to push kids up 
Um, how do we try and make sure that the prices don't continually blow out? I think one of the things that has been a, another tradition in football is um, we pay our coaches extremely well. So we also run a high-performance program out of metropolitan area. So what we are discussing internally at the moment is how do we actually grow that access to more regional areas of Victoria. Um, it would be great to have the money that AFL mm. do have to enable them to put more people on the ground, and that's that's what we're up against. Yeah. And so are all the other sports. You know, we don't have enough resource on the ground, and I think if we if we had the resource that enabled us to do that, the cost lower as well. We can't tell our clubs how much they charge per season. That is entirely up to them. There's obviously a a, um, a registration fee to ourselves as Football Victoria and also up into Football Australia, and that's that's just how sport rolls. doesn't matter which sport you are. Uh, and then they have to cover their costs. They have to cover their their pitch hire. They have to cover their coach hire. They've got to cover um, their referees on the day, all of those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 how we actually manage that mm. and and get that a little bit cheaper. I don't know. It's got to be a collective agreement, yeah. I guess. So, yeah. How big of how big a handbrake is it to what you do, Karen? That as I said before, the participation numbers seem to and, and show in the articles that I've read and the, and the research that's out there that that soccer has the most people participating in it in that sport uh, more than any other. Has more people participating yep. in it than any other sport yet. When you look at the funding that comes down from a government point of view, $14 million for cycling, $10 million athletics, $9 million, uh, just under ten for hockey, sailing gets nine and a half mil, swimming gets just under nine and a half mil, basketball, which is also in the top three most participated sports, gets eight mil, and soccer gets 7.9 mil. How hard is it to, to meet the needs of all those when the, the funding probably isn't there to keep facilities and make new ones? And how tough is that for in your role? It, it is tough. Um, you know, at the moment, though, you, we we have received some some significant funding for um, a major facility out at La Trobe University, and so from that perspective, that's been fabulous. And we we do work closely with our clubs uh, on facility access. You know, female friendly facilities, but also um, upgrades and all of that, which will effectively help our game in the long term. So. Um, from that other perspective of what comes down, let's hope that that you know that promise from the Socceroos, and we have the Women's World Cup next year, the biggest yes. World Cup ever landing on our shores, and surely um, this is you know we're we're expecting participation rates to go through the roof, but it's how do we actually capture those mm. and ensure and that keep those them. And keep them, and that's yep. right. And that's why schools is a really, really important strategy for us moving forward um, because when when the Women's World Cup finishes next year, we go into the off-season. So we have a period of, you know, four or five months where we have to keep these kids engaged. So, you know, there's there's a lot of work in the background on that. There's a big legacy piece that we've put together and, and um, you know, that we are trying to source some funding for. Uh, and hopefully now that the uh, the government's been announced that uh, that might come to fruition and that will definitely help. And that's not going to go directly into um, facilities. That's actually going into programming if we get it. So for me, that's the important 
thing is um, how do we immediately capture the interest that we gain next year out of the Women's World Cup. Last one, because I've got to let you go, Karen. I really do appreciate your time. The news today that uh, the A-League has sold off the rights to the grand final. Uh, Three years it'll be in Sydney. It's supposed to be an eight-figure amount. I know it's very early days and the story's just come out today. And, And my naivety is at the base of this question. Is any money of that you expecting trickling down into what you do and where you're trying to do the work that you're doing at, at grassroots and, and participation level? My assumption is it probably won't, but I don't know for certain. Okay. It'd be nice. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they, they sit underneath Football Australia. And, again, it's, you know, how, where does that come? Football Australia, from a... Um, you know, a legacy perspective on the Women's World Cup next year have had some quite significant funding that's coming through there um, to activate during next year for yep. the Women's World Cup. So, you know, anything else that we can do to, to make sure not just uh, women and girls but men and boys are actually uh, enjoying our game and staying is um, well received. Trust me, <laughs> we would love it. Karen, thank you so much for shining a light uh, on the work that you're doing and the challenges of it. Um, we really appreciate your time and good luck with the fight. Thanks so much, Sam, for having me. Thank you. Uh, the Executive Manager of Growth and Inclusion at Football Victoria is Karen Pierce, OAM. Uh, 1-300-736-736 or 0433-981116. You have your say on that. Um, we've got to take a break and come back uh, with the news on the other side. Dave in Richmond, I'll get to you shortly. Paul in Mill Park as well uh, on the Werribee Care open line and keep your 40 Winks temper text coming in.